You're listening to the Sermon Podcast from Real Life, reaching the world for Jesus one person at a time. Morning, gang. Hey, like Chris mentioned, we are going to have baptisms, and so I'll talk more about that towards the end of the service, but we're also going to have communion together later uh, at the end of the message this morning. So if you made it in this morning and you didn't get one of these sweet little... uh, impossible to open communion packets. Uh, or if you need any stuff for your kiddos, we've got some stuff for them too. So if you need communion, just raise your hand and some of the guys will make sure that they get it for you. Um, back under the tent there, Scott. Okay, cool. And if just hold your hand up for a second and they'll get it to you. Um, and like Chris mentioned, if you are new with us this morning, today is the first day that uh, you've come, whether it's to support somebody in baptism or you just were checking it out because it was something fun to do. We just want to say thanks for coming. We appreciate it. And just by way of uh, introduction to you guys, if you're new and to everybody else as a reminder, like we're a part of uh, a big church on the Palouse, uh, Real Life on the Palouse. And like many of you know, uh, we've got two campuses. So people on the Palouse that live on the Idaho side of the world uh, go to the Moscow campus and reasonably people that live on the the Washington, Eastern Washington side of the Palouse sort of go to Pullman. There's no rules that you have to go to one or the other. It's just a matter of connection with people and family and relationships and convenience. And so we've got two different locations. Um, and I pastor the Pullman location along with an awesome team of people that uh, we get together and, and minister and serve the people in our congregation on the Pullman side. So that's a little bit about us. Um, there's a bunch of us wearing lanyards around this morning. And so if you have any questions about getting involved or or other ministries, or even if you've been a part of the church for a while, but have questions, today's a great day. We're you have some uninterrupted time to hang out and visit with us and talk about stuff. So feel free to pick our brain about anything that uh, you need to. Okay. Sound good. Well, this morning we are going to continue in our series on the Sermon on the Mount. And last week we started, um, this series, and I need to do a little recap for everybody to make sure we're kind of on the same page, rolling into this message that we're going to get into this morning. So, Let me give you some background of what was going on kind of pre-Sermon on the Mount, right? So we don't just jump up on the hill with Jesus and miss what was going on before he got there. So this is early in Jesus's career. And what had happened first is he had called his disciples to him. And so Jesus has called the disciples. They have answered the call to come and follow him, dropped their stuff. They had begun following him. And it says in Matthew 4 that Jesus had started to travel all throughout the Galilee, teaching in synagogues and healing people that had all kinds of problems. They were, uh, people that were uh, sick with all sorts of afflictions. There were people that had uh, demon possessions and there were people that had uh, epileptics and paralyzed people. There was all kinds of people that were coming to him and they were being healed, it said. And as a result, his fame or popularity is a way we would recognize it today. Like his popularity grew immensely as you can imagine. And so the crowds that were following him were increasing Day over day over day, all of these people were coming to see him. They wanted to know if this Jesus that they were hearing about was really true. Like, is this, could this be, could he be the Messiah for the people that had a religious background? Could he really be the one for the people that didn't have a religious background? Are the stories true? Could he actually heal me? 
could he actually heal or help one of my loved ones? And so all of these people are brought to him and, and the, these crowds were sort of controlled chaos, maybe not so controlled. And they were crowds full of people that were not your ordinary church crowd. They were crowds full of people that were pushing their way in to get near to him, to be touched by him, to be seen by him, to hear what he had to say. And they were not your average everyday people. They were people that were sick with all sorts of afflictions. They were people with birth defects. They were people that were paralyzed and being carried in. There was people from all around the region in fact, a lot of places that these people came from were places that the Jews wouldn't even say the name of the town because to even mention the name of the town would make them unclean for several days. And yet here are all these people stuffing their way in to get a glimpse of this Jesus and see if he was really real. And it's in that context, that was the environment, that was what was going on when Jesus walks aside to go sit on a hill amongst this chaos and these crowds and everybody that wanted a piece of him. And in the midst of that, he sits down on the side of a hill and goes to give a message. And he goes to speak to his disciples, it says. So there's this huge crowd around him. There's all kinds of people from all kinds of backgrounds with all kinds of problems. And he sits down and talks to his guys. Now you have the right picture in your mind when we start to work our way into the Sermon on the Mount. That's what was really going on. It starts off with, with uh, what we call in our Bibles is the Beatitudes, right? And the Beatitudes are really a list of some pretty shocking statements. There's some pretty crazy things that Jesus said to his disciples that sort of rocked the world of the current culture and the religious teaching. They were things that helped people see where God's blessing would fall the kind of people that God's favor would be with, the kind of people that would be in the kingdom. And it was some pretty radical things. And it probably piqued the curiosity in a big way of these people from all over and all different walks of life that didn't fit the normal church mold, so to speak. And we had a great sermon on that last week. Marty and Emmy over in Moscow, team taught that, and they opened up this series on uh, the Sermon on the Mount with a great teaching on the Beatitudes. So it's online. You can listen to it with uh, just uh, audio, or you can even just watch the video if you like to watch. So if you missed it last week, I would really encourage you to check that out because it was a super, a, a really good teaching to kind of open that this series up, okay? This morning... There we go. This morning, we're going to um, dig into this next chunk in the Sermon on the Mount. It's a passage that a lot of us are really familiar with, and it's often misunderstood or misapplied. And so I, I wanna, want you to lean in, put your thinkers on a little bit, and I actually want you to, to say to somebody around you, uh, I want to learn something this morning. So like, try it out. Like, Say to somebody, I want to learn something this morning. Now you're on record. I'm so glad that you guys want to learn something this morning, right? Gosh, I'm glad I came. Otherwise, how would you have learned anything? Right? Jeez. You guys must have been talking to my wife because I teach her stuff all the time. Rarely wrong. Rarely. 
and usually brilliant, most things that come out of my mouth. Just this morning, I said a lot of really good things to her. I think about three sentences in, she's like, you need to stop talking. So hopefully I got out of my system on her. We're going to start in this, in this passage in Matthew 5. It, it references three things, salt and light and cities. He uses these three different examples. They're, they're just common things that are concrete things to use as illustrations. And in the beginning of it, in Matthew 5, 13, he says that you are the salt of the earth. You're the salt of the earth. And what good is salt if it loses its taste? Like how can salt become salty again if it's lost its saltiness if it does that it's no good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under feet now here's the thing what a lot of people are not aware of is that in the ancient world salt was extremely valuable right in the ancient world uh, all of the nations around israel were really wealthy in a lot of different things gold silver oil, other minerals, but Israel was wealthy in salt. And it was a good thing because Israel has a climate that's a little bit like the Snake River at about four o'clock today. Very hot, very arid, very dry, no electricity and no refrigeration, right? So salt is critical for uh, curing meat and fish and storing their food. Without salt, the food doesn't keep. Not only is it important for that, it's important for electrolytes. Like we got the benefit of uh, the Florida football team for inventing Gatorade for us. They didn't have Gatorade. They had pouches of salt that they would literally carry around. Carry around. Roman soldiers would carry pouches of salt to eat salt to help replace their electrolytes. Salt was critical. Like common people wouldn't use salt like a table spice like we do. They would. It was too valuable for that. In fact, salt was even used as a currency. They would pay people in salt. Sounds kind of funny today. It's like, I wish that's how it worked because I got a lot of it. It's easy to come by, but it wasn't the case then. They paid people in salt and it was called a salarium that they would pay them. It's where we get the word salary. So if your boss gives you a bucket of salt, it's actually your check. Thank them and go cure some fish, right? So he was talking to him on this hillside. And what happens with this passage is oftentimes people read this and we're familiar with this passage of scripture and people read this and they immediately start to solve this. They, they look at it like it's some sort of a riddle to be solved. Like what if a salt loses its saltiness? How can, a, how can salt lose its saltiness? And then they start to immediately try to apply it straightforward to their lives today. And they go, what would it, what would happen if a Christian somehow becomes unsalty? What is a salty Christian anyways? That's weird. Right. And, and what happens if a Christian becomes unsalty or you, you, you used to be really appealing and needed by people and now you're not. And what does that mean? And, and they go down this road of trying to unwind what they think this passage means. And, and most people that do that completely and totally miss what Jesus was teaching his disciples. Because what Jesus was saying to his guys on this hill, right? Remember the context. All these people around him, all of these hurting, messed up, hard to deal with people are all around him. And he's looking at his guys on this hillside and he's leaning into him and he's saying, you guys need to hear this. I need you to hear that you are very, very valuable to me. 
He's saying to us, guys, you that would answer the call, that would drop your jobs, that would set aside your desires and your dreams and the things you wanted most to come and follow me with your whole heart. You guys right here, you guys are as good as white gold that they would call salt. You guys are so valuable to me. That was the point that Jesus was trying to have his disciples here in the midst of this chaos that was going on around them. You guys are important. Through you, you are going to preserve our faith. And the message that God wants us to hear this morning as, the, as we look at that same passage, fast forwarding, like what can we glean from that? The same thing can be gleaned is that God wants you to know that you, those of us that follow Jesus, that he's our Lord and Savior, God wants you to hear that you are very, very valuable to God. You matter in the kingdom. And not only that, he wants you to know that through you and your faith, that, that God's faith, God's stories can be preserved for generations to come, to feed on, right? Just like we have the stories that we have now and the scriptures that we have now was preserved by the faith of those that went before us, so can we preserve our faith for our grandkids and our great-grandkids and beyond, right? It's critical that we hear that we're valuable to God, that we're important to God, that we matter to God. Jesus goes on in that passage in Matthew 5 in the next verse, and he talks about this light and city. He says, you're a light of the world, a city set on a hill cannot be hidden. He says, nobody lights a lamp, puts it on a table, and sets a basket over the top of it. Instead, you light the lamp and let it light up the whole room. He says, in the same way, let your good deeds shine before others so that everybody that sees them can glorify our Father in heaven. Jesus is telling his disciples that we're to be like a light that shines out before everybody. Not like a light that, that I always thought this was such a, a kind of a weird analogy. Like, what's the point of lighting a light, right? You set a light in there and imagine putting like a refrigerator box over the top of all your lamps in your house. It's like, hey, I'm sure glad we bought those lamps. They're of no value, right? They do nothing if they're covered. It doesn't make any sense. But the thing is, if Jesus is saying to his disciples, you're supposed to be the light of the world, and he's saying that same thing to us now, we're supposed to be the light of the world, and, and we're supposed to let our light shine around us, I would ask you this, like, why? Why? What are we lighting up? What are people supposed to see? Are they, is, is the light supposed to be on us? Is it supposed to be so that everybody can see around us like a big floodlight? Is it supposed to be like a little tiny flashlight in a dark forest that you can only see the path in front of you? Like, what, what are we lighting up? He wrapped up that passage and kind of helps us see the answer. He says that we're supposed to let our light shine in front of others so that, here's the why, so that they can see our good deeds and give glory to God. 
so that they can see our good deeds and give glory to God. And Jesus has given his guys this illustration, this example in front of all these hurting and messed up people. And he's trying to help them see by his example, by his modeling, as we go out and we care for people that are hard to care for, as we love people that are not loved, as we take care of people that are not wanted in society, that aren't cared for in our culture, in our world, that's where people will start to see the kind of God that you have that loves the unlovable people, that cares about people that other people don't care about that loves people that are hard to love. And as people see that, and they see a community of people loving each other well and loving the heart to love people, it starts to look a lot like a city on a hill that can't be hidden. He says, as a community of believers gets together and starts to let their light shine, you actually stick out like a sore thumb in a good way. Like you can't be missed. Like a city on a hill, he says. And people are drawn to the community like that. Just like people were drawn as they heard about Jesus. They came from far and wide. They, they overlooked what was okay and acceptable and culturally normal. That None of that mattered because it was more important to get in on what was going on and to see if it was really real. Is this really a place where people can be healed and free from the bondage of sin and loved and accepted and walked with through their messes? Or is it just another good story? Like, what are we going to find when we get there? And when that's the kind of community that we are, we will draw people from far and wide and God will bring them to us. There will be skeptics coming by the bucket loads. There will be believers coming. There will be hurting people coming. There will be people that want to be a part of a place that loves them and is willing to walk through hard things with them. Right? Does that sound like something that you guys could get in on, want to be a part of? Here's something I want to share with you about that is a cool thing going on. I just, I, you guys made the venture down to the park. So you get the first reveal on something cool that God's doing in our church and our community. And, uh, we'll keep learning more about it in the weeks and months to come. But I want to, I want to let the cat out of the bag a little bit in a good way, because I know that a lot of you are going to end up being a big part of what this is and you're going to um, contribute in a lot of different ways and that probably a lot of this thing that I'm going to talk to you about being able to even happen is going to be only able to come together by your help. Like there are people here that are key ingredients to this working and you didn't even know it yet. And I don't know who you are yet. And so I want to share with you something that God's been kind of working out some cool details for us. Um, probably a lot of you don't realize that just even in our uh, community, our small little community on the Plus, any given day, there's 25 to 50 families who have had their kids removed from their home for various reasons, right? A lot of right reasons. Hard things happen and bad choices, bad decisions. They've had their kids removed from their home. And as a result, there are a lot of implications that happen, right? It has all sorts of ripple effects, not only on the parents of them, those kids, but on the kids themselves, their immediate family and cousins and relatives. It has implications on them as they're removed from their normal environment, put in a place that's uncomfortable and different and new and difficult. There's hard things that happen. It, it impacts their friendships. It impacts the workers, the parents and their job, their uh, 
you know, ability to be good employees. It impacts the classroom and schools. Like it has all sorts of ripple effects beyond the immediate family that that's disrupted when these things happen. And some of you may or may not be really aware with some of how the foster system works. And I've been learning more about it because it's not something I was familiar with, but God's really been showing us some cool stuff. And when parents have had this happen, they get started in a process of working back towards getting their family restored, trying to get restored and redeemed and learn how to heal what sin has broken in their lives, oftentimes on their own without a lot of help. They have caseworkers that are kind of mandating things for them for the benefit of the children, which is right. And they're helping them see here's steps you need to take to get your family back together. And one of the things they have to do is have supervised visitation with their kids. Like they don't get to just go pick up their kids like any one of us. They have to have someone oversee those and to help guide and direct them for the benefit and protection of the kids to make sure that the parents are like getting back on track, right? What you probably don't know is when those supervised visitations take place, the number one place that they happen in Pullman is in the McDonald's Playland. It might sound fun for about 30 minutes, but if you're a mom or a dad that is brokenhearted and trying to get back on track with your family, and you've got to spend six hours in the McDonald's Playland with someone watching you, that's a hard deal. In Colfax, the number one place they go is the Family Health Services building has a room that they let people use, that they let the supervisors use, that has some like eight by eight cubicles. You gotta spend a three hour visit the one time a week or the one time every three days you get to see your kids. You've got three kids, you've got four kids, you're in a cubicle with someone watching you. We are about redeeming and restoring families and helping people overcome what sin is broke. One of the ways as a church, we're going to get serious about turning up the spotlight in our community about who we are as Jesus people is we're going to start figuring out how to love and help these people restore their families. Not just with nuts and bolts, but like genuinely coming alongside them and loving them. And so one of the things we've already done is we've actually, some of you know this, we've rented a duplex right behind the church offices in Pullman. So we've got a three bedroom duplex back there. We're going to need your help and the help of our congregation to furnish that place and to put gear in it and make it feel like a home. And we're going to set it up so that they have a family environment that feels like a house to sit with their kids and work on restoring their relationship with their kids, to help families have a safe place to actually feel like a house and get back together. That's one of the ways we're going to turn our light up, right? One of the other things we're going to need help with is we're going to need help um, stocking the pantry in that place on a regular basis and putting dishes and pots and pans because we're going to make sure here's the other thing that's required of them. If they have them over whatever time they have them, if there's a breakfast, lunch or dinner, the parents are required to provide healthy food for their kids during that visit. Well, if you're at the McDonald's Playland for breakfast and lunch, it's not a great solution. If you're sitting in a cubicle where there's no, no way to cook, and on top of that, oftentimes they're broke and they're scraping by because some of the other uh, consequences of their choices, right? They're, there's hard things going on in their life. So one of the ways we can do is we can stock that pantry, keep it full, make it easy for them to have a meal with their kids. 
and to forget a little bit about the fact that they've got someone they don't know looking over their shoulder, seeing if they're doing it right. And they can focus on relationship with their family and restoring them. Um, so we're going to need help with all kinds of stuff. We're going to need help putting that place together. We're going to need help facilitating it, the logistics, cleaning it, putting food in it. There's all kinds of things that I don't even know about yet that we're going to need help with. In addition to that, we're working with the county and the state to start providing um, classes and education stuff to come alongside those families. We're not talking about a few people. We're talking about hundreds of people that are impacted by this in our community. And we're going to start doing classes, everything from uh, anger management stuff to marriage issues that they need help and training with, digging into how to work through conflict and restore relationship with their spouse. We're going to do parenting and family training stuff. We're going to do basic stuff like life skills, how to manage your budget, how to balance a checkbook, how to grocery shop so that you can make a hundred bucks into 500 bucks right? Like how to cook healthy meals on little or no money. Like we're going to get creative and love these people well to help them in tangible, practical ways. All of that stuff I'm talking about, we need your help with. Those are ways that we can shine our light, right? That's just some of the stuff that God's showing us ways that we can break into this community and let our good deeds shine before other people so that God gets glorified. Like as we do that, it doesn't build our church's reputation. It doesn't build our reputation. As it as we do that and we come alongside people, then the word gets out just like it did in Jesus's day that this church has a God that is good with everybody that loves unlovable people or hard to love people that is willing to meet people right where they're at in their mess and actually walk with them and care about them. And we start to build a reputation for our God and our community as a good God who loves people, right? That's what we're about. I'm excited to tell you more and more about it. it I know a lot of people will have questions about that. Come talk to me. Give me your name. Give me your info. Like I'm, I'm telling you right now, it's in its infancy of sorting out how. Like it's one thing to have a dream and see God opening doors for us. It's another thing to know how to do it. And so I will be blessed by your help as we work that out as a family. Cool? Sounds good. Well, we're going to... We're going to switch gears and get ready to take communion together this morning before we jump down to the river and cool off. Um, so get those little packets out and I'll give you some advance notice because they're sort of like solving the Rubik's cube to get them open. Um, I may need like a six-year-old to come help me because I'm sure that's who is the one. Oh, maybe. They're childproof. That means all the kids got them open first. Thank you. He's the biggest kid here, for the record. So, every time we meet, we get the opportunity to take communion together. And as we take communion together, what's so cool is we get to remember Jesus. We get to remember that the pioneer, if you will, of putting God on display laid his life down for us. We get to follow his example and be reminded of it. And so this morning, we're going to do just that. We're going to remember that on the night that he was betrayed, Jesus took the bread and he broke it and he gave thanks. And he said that as often as we get together, let's eat this bread in remembrance of him. 
In the same way, during the dinner, he took the cup and he said, this cup represents a new covenant, which is his blood shed for us. So let's drink the, the cup in remembrance of him. So we have a bunch of people getting baptized this morning, which I'm pretty excited about. So what I'm going to do is uh, I'm going to talk just real quick about baptism here since I have the microphone. And I'm going to, uh, Alex, wherever you are, will you come up here with your list? And then um, if you're getting baptized, would you go ahead and just kind of come stand up over here by the table? Uh, Alex will be up there with you. So if you're getting baptized this morning, go ahead and come on up over here by this little table by the tree. I'm not going to make you say anything or embarrass you or anything. I just want you to come up here because we're going to pray for you. Pretty exciting. As they're coming down, let me tell you, um, we baptize folks for um, for several reasons. Number one, and first off and foremost, is it was Jesus' command. As we go and make disciples, we're to baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And we're also supposed to teach them to obey his teachings. And so it's more than just... Um, baptizing someone it's also us committing to come alongside them and help teach them to obey Jesus as a church and then in the closer relationships that they have there's more to it than just the baptism right it's like you don't just get adopted into the family you actually have to also kind of learn the family rules like what does it mean to be a part of the family how do you walk this new life out this new family that I'm joining out and so that's part of what we're committing to as a church and part of what I ask all of us every time we baptize somebody is that will you commit with us to anytime you see these folks to look at them, I don't care if it's the grocery store or the gas station or ending up in your home group or something, anytime you see them, please look at them as if it's a brother or sister because they are. Like this is new family members, right? And to treat them like family, to love them well and to be willing to get in the mess with them and help them with whatever they need help with. Like that's how we do this thing. When we baptize new people, we commit to love you guys, to do our best to help you learn and understand Jesus's teaching and help you grow and mature in your walk as a, a disciple of Jesus. And so as we go down to baptize them, we're going to ask them a couple of questions. We're going to ask them that if they believe that Jesus Christ is the son of the living God, and we're going to ask them, and I'm just telling you this because you won't, a lot of you won't be able to hear what we're asking them. And we're going to ask them if they've accepted Jesus as their Lord and Savior, if, or if they want to uh, in, in a way for younger people, sometimes we say, um, are you okay with Jesus being the boss of your life? Like he calls the shots and you answer to him. He's your king. And so we'll ask him those questions and then we'll ask him if they're ready to be baptized, you know? And so, and then we'll baptize them. The really neat thing this morning is, um, there's a whole bunch of different people actually baptizing other people. And so there is people from our staff, there's people from home groups and family members and parents. And so as a church, anytime we get an opportunity to baptize someone, we want it to be a family affair. Literally, we want everybody in there that knows those people, supporting them, blessing them. So um, 
that being said, let me pray for you guys. And then I'm going to drop this and we're going to go uh, cool off and get wet. All right. So uh, we'd love everybody to just follow us right down and surround the edge of the beach down there. And like I say, when we do them at church, when somebody comes out of the water, man, cut loose. It's a, it's a big deal. Let them know how much, how proud you are of them, how excited you are that they're in the family. Like it's, it's a time to shout, right? So, all right, well, let me pray for us. God, we love you. We just thank you so much for each and every one of these folks this morning that are committing to, to trust and follow you, Lord, that they are stepping out in faith to call you Lord, and that they are committed to figuring out how to be a disciple. And Lord, I just pray that you would um, build connections and family with them um, amongst our church or other Christians, and that, God, that we would, as a church, that we would... Just make you proud at how we uh, come alongside and love new folks that come in the family. So we just pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope you've enjoyed this message from Real Life. If you'd like more information on who we are, what's happening in our church, and how you can get involved, visit us on Facebook and Twitter and visit our website, liferotp.com. 